Hi, this is Pat Iyer. I am a dream chaser, and you are listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Tonight, we're going to be talking a little bit about my story and how I can relate that to what you're going through and assist you with chasing your dreams. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams Podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Dream Chasers, this is Amy J, and you are listening to Chasing Dreams, episode number 124. Isn't that crazy? 124? Yeah, I know I say it every time, but it's still amazing to me because not everyone's doing this, guys. 124, it's a crazy number. It's a new year. Appreciate it. And I have such a cool guest here for you guys today. Her name is Pat Iyer. Pat has worked with experts helping them share their knowledge since she first began writing and editing books in 1985. She has written and edited over 800 chapters, books, case studies, articles, or online courses. 800, guys. Pat delights in assisting people to share their expertise by writing a book. She serves as a developmental editor and ghostwriter. Pat built a service business assisting attorneys with cases involving medical issues. After growing that business for 25 years, She sold it in 2015 and now devotes her time to mentoring, writing, and editing, and taking time out of her evening to talk to us. Pat, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Amy. And you know what's funny is that I also have a podcast, and the episode that's aired today is 124. So we've got a good number going there. That's amazing. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Yes, 124 is a good number. What's, yes. what's, what's the name of your podcast? It is called Legal Nurse Podcast, and it's directed towards nurses who work with attorneys on cases with medical issues or nurses who want to learn more about legal nurse consulting. And guys, a link to Pat's podcast can be found on the show notes page. Definitely check that out. I'll give you the link at the end of the episode. Pat, you are ghostwriting. You are doing these podcasts on legal assistance for nurses. And these things don't seem to align for me. When you were growing up and you were trying to figure out what you wanted to do, what was your dream? This may seem like a foreign concept to many people in the audience, Amy, who particularly who are young. Mm -hmm. The time that I got out of high school, there were four things that women could do. They could be a nurse, a secretary, a teacher, or a librarian. And I decided to go into nursing because I wanted to help people. So those choices were much more limited. And I am so pleased that there are so many more choices for people today, particularly those who want to chase their dreams and go into different directions. I also enjoyed writing. I was always a good writer in high school. So when I went through nursing school and got some experience taking care of people and ultimately started my business. 
I was at that point also writing articles and then my first book, which was published in 1986. So I combined the interest in nursing and the interest in writing throughout my nursing career. So when you talk about having uh, less choices, limited choices, if you will, or, or just pure choices, do you feel that was your choice amongst that? I mean, you say you have a you said you have an interest in nursing, but was that l- aligned with what your options were, or did you feel that you went that direction because? it was one of the few choices that you liked. I liked that choice. Ironically, I did some part-time library work when I was in high school. I was a a paid, I think the grand total of $2 an hour to work in my local high school a couple of evenings after school. And I combined teaching because I got involved in staff development and continuing education as a nurse. But I always felt that if I were picking a career, I would want something that would be long lasting. And I knew that nursing would always be a good career. And it continues to be a good career because of the needs of the population, even more so now with so many people who are encountering health challenges. And it turned out to be, for me, a very versatile career that enabled me to do things like staff development, staff nursing, uh, writing, teaching. You can go in many different different directions as a nurse. And essentially, once you become a nurse, there's no such thing as former nurse. You remain a nurse when you're interacting with other people. Well, that's interesting. What do you mean by that? Well, I sat down next to a man one time on an airplane And I found that I was, I got into a conversation with him and I I started extracting details from him about his life just because nurses are very good at collecting data. And all of a sudden he looked at me and he said, you know, I'm never going to see you again. So I'm going to tell you all about my affair and my divorce. And he did. And I was trapped in that seat. (laughs) I bet you didn't see that coming. I did not see that coming. No, no. And for a long time after that, I was afraid to even make eye contact with people because I usually have my own agenda of what I want to accomplish on a plane, which is usually working on my computer or reading. So I've been careful in those conversations (laughs) since then. Your your powers are too strong, Pat. Your powers are Mm. too strong. (laughs) But how long were you a nurse? I became a nurse in 1969, so and I still consider myself a nurse. So I'm how long still did you active in nursing? I guess how long did you practice then? Oh, I worked as a, a staff nurse up until 1995, and then at that point was transitioning my business. Legal nurse consulting is a specialty area of nursing, but specifically working with attorneys on medical malpractice or personal injury or workers' comp or products liability cases, taking nursing knowledge and helping attorneys understand the medical issues, what's in that stack of medical records. Is there information in there that the attorney needs to know because his or her adversary knows and the last thing the attorney wants to do is to be surprised by negative information in the medical records. 
So it's a quite um, unique and valuable service for attorneys. And I did that until 2015. And that's at the point that I sold my company and started moving more into ghostwriting and editing. Now, you worked till 1995, but you began writing and editing books in 1985. So there was was a 10-year of where you were doing both. Um, why? Yes. Why do both? Did you want to not, you didn't want to concentrate on the writing more than the legal nursing? The first book that I wrote was uh, a book that was geared for students in schools of nursing. And it started as a self-learning module that two people and I wrote for use in our hospitals. We worked in three hospitals, we got together and co-authored this module and then turned it into a book. I didn't get into legal nurse consulting until 1987 when I started doing expert witness work and then developed that as a practice and testified in courtrooms for 25 years about nursing liability issues. And that, that was unfortunately something that was needed, huh? Uh, It continues to be needed. When I first got into the field, there were physicians who were testifying about what nurses should do, and that was gradually being challenged by the legal system who said to the physician experts, you're not a nurse, you've never done nursing. Oh, well, I'm a doctor, I supervise nurses. And then the tide changed to say, well, we need to have a nurse talk about what a nurse is responsible for doing because nurses know the nursing standard of care. They're part of nursing associations. They went to nursing school. They read nursing textbooks. I came into the field of being an expert witness for nursing cases as the recognition was changing and the attorneys realized that they couldn't rely on physicians anymore. They needed to have nurses as expert witnesses. And I picked an area of legal nurse consulting expert witness work, was me- which was medical surgical, which are the, the general units in a hospital where patients go either for medical problems or after surgery. And there are a lot of cases involving those types of units. So I kept very busy with reviewing those kinds of cases. And then After I had been doing expert work for two years, I got a phone call from an attorney who wanted wanted me to review an emergency department case. I said, I'm not an ER nurse. I don't know that area, but I've got a friend who presents well. She's attractive. She's well-educated. I think she would be great. I connected her with him, and then I said, you know, I, I bet you I could have a business supplying experts for different types of nursing. Once I started doing that, it really snowballed. And by the time I sold my company, I had 200 people who were under contract to review cases for my company. That's what enabled me to really build a large and very successful business. So that's 200 people. And in all this time, aside from the things you were writing for those nurses, did you write anything for yourself? 
fiction, nonfiction, but more uh, of a personal nature for you? I have not. No, all of my writing has been in the form of textbooks, which were written for either nurses or attorneys or other legal nurse consultants. I love to read fiction. It's not something that I think that I'm particularly good at in terms of writing myself. I have a sister who is phenomenal when it comes to writing fiction. But my focus has really been on using my writing skills as a way to share what I know with other people, building my business activities at the same time. Now, do you have an MBA? No, I have a master's in nursing, but not an MBA. Yeah, but you have a successful business. This this is the part I wanted to talk about. You have a successful business. You're doing something you're passionate about, something you love, but you don't have a certified degree in business itself. Utmost respect to your master's in nursing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are some people out there who believe you can't run a business unless you have an MBA. It's unheard of. But you're, you're, the, you're proof that that's not true. I mean, how did you do that? I think there are more people who are running successful businesses without MBAs than with them. Um, I honestly have never heard that what I would call a limiting belief, mm-hmm. Amy, if I could label it as such. I think you can. <laughs> it is. But what got me into more of a business mindset is that I got out of just the pure nursing niche. And I think this is a trap that that can be applicable to people in other fields. You associate only with people who have that same knowledge base that you do, and it limits you. you you've got some walls in terms of your knowledge. I got involved in the National Speakers Association in 2008, which then introduced me to internet marketing, which then enabled me to see the principles of internet marketing. I could apply to how I ran my business, which is called, which was called a brick and mortar business or a term that's used in internet marketing to talk about when you have a physical building of some kind. A lot of those concepts of helping people feel comfortable with you, of creating urgency when it comes to closing a sale, to creating um, reciprocity where you give a gift to a person and that sets up a nice feeling and increases the probability that they're going to remain your customer. There's lots of those persuasion techniques that I found directly applicable to my business. So I got coaches. I have invested money in webinars and programs and continually learning. If you don't do that, you end up being confined into a small bit of territory And you don't realize what you could be doing that would be changing your life. So I think that's one of the things that I'd like to stress in your show is to never stop learning. Always seek new opportunities, meeting new people. You never know where those connections will lead you or the new ideas that come to you that you can say, oh, yes, I can see how I could apply that. Well, you, we met at MAPCON, the Mid-Atlantic Podcast Conference, and you gave a wonderful talk on 
repurposing material, essentially. I, I don't know the exact name of your talk, but that, that was the mm -hmm. subject matter. You're right. And it was a wonderful talk. And I learned so much. I know I wasn't the only one because me and a few friends were talking about that, about how, because you gave a, you schooled us on how you could take one type of material and then just reuse it. And then you reuse that. And then you reuse that. I mean, it was kind of ingenious uh, if you think about it, because you took, you took a, a blog, I believe it started with the blog or it started with the podcast. It started with the podcast and then you did show notes and then the show notes became a blog. The blog became a book and the book became like a course. It, it was of that kind of nature. And we were just in awe because it seems so obvious after you say it, but I don't know how many people are actually doing it that way. But if it, we had not come to that conference, if you had not shared your knowledge, four or five people um, that I know of specifically would not have learned that. And that's credit to you for sharing your knowledge and a testament to the fact that we can always be learning. You're absolutely right. I mean, do, do you, when you gave that talk and when you started doing that, repurposing the material, was that an immediate thought process for you? Or was that something that came up over time? I knew that when I started my podcast last year, I wanted to see how I could do it efficiently. So you're absolutely right. It was, it was thought out in terms of I wanted to do an interview every week. And then a couple of days later, I wanted to do a monologue on that topic that would relate to the topic of the interview. But I didn't want to have to create my monologue totally from scratch. So I repurposed blog posts to create the monologue, put two or three of them together, which equals about 10 minutes. And then I get the podcast transcribed. And then I've turned those transcripts, I group them together into subjects. Like I talk about marketing, business development, client relationships, your expertise and finance. So I have a group of transcripts that I then edit out the dialogue to make them into chapters. And then I assemble those transcripts into chunks of material. So I have a book on sales, a book on marketing, a book on business development, a book on business growth. Those books came from the transcripts. The transcripts came from the podcasts and the podcasts were part interview and also these blog posts that I've written in the past. And then I've sold products on those podcasts that further monetize those shows so that I can generate income that helps to pay for the transcripts and the virtual assistant support that helps me keep everything rolling along. It, it's a nice little cycle you have going almost, um, mm -hmm. which, which is basically why we were in awe of how you did it. Um, but I'm curious, why podcast? I re have reached a lot of people in the past with the books that I have written, but I realized I wasn't doing anything for those people who would prefer to listen than read. One of the people that I have um, ghostwritten one book with and I'm now finishing a second book is very interested in learning by listening. 
if I hand him a book, he'll look at me and say, do you think this might be in an audio form? And I realized in interacting with him and several other people that I was missing a whole audience of individuals plus, and I'm sure you've got listeners in many countries, Amy, when I sell my books, they're primarily sold in the United States, they're sold on Amazon, and they're probably sales in Europe and the UK, but I don't mail any books out to purchasers from other parts of the world. I think there are now people in 32 countries who are listening to Legal Nurse Podcast, and I'm sure you've got listeners in many, many parts of the world. You can touch people across the globe with a podcast in a way that you can't necessarily always touch with a physical product like a book. Mm -hmm. Now, did the idea of that, though, come from hearing other podcasts and the power of that? Actually, it didn't, because I would rather read than listen. Hmm. But I found, and I think it was on a Facebook group, I saw a notice that um, Joe Pardo had organized his first uh, Mid-Atlantic podcast. I watched it on YouTube. It was um, available. I sat down and watched every minute of it and then ordered the recordings for the second one. And then this third one, I was able to attend in person. And I found it... um, it to be very helpful to listen to how other podcasters run their shows and the topics that people are fascinated about and can derive so much content about that um, some of them were just amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knew that you could talk about beer <laughs> uh, week after week after week, or you could talk for yeah. 11 years about whiskey? I mean, I, w- I was just amazed by that. Yeah, the topics span the range. I mean, they were just all over the place in a good way. Uh, but it, mm-hmm. it, like you said, it does go to show the power of podcasting and what you can do with it, which is phenomenal. Have you found in your time of doing the nursing, doing the, the books, the courses and all, have you throughout that, have you ever thought, and let me try something different? Let me try something else. Or has this always been the course for you? Well, I think I've always been trying new things and looking to see how I can share my knowledge with other people, what people are interested in. I did have a spectacular, well, I won't say a failure because I don't believe in the word failure, but an unexpected outcome, I would call it. When I put together for a year and a half, I put together a website, a magazine, uh, interviews, blogs, all related to patient safety. And I was ahead of my time, and I didn't know how to connect with that audience. What I discovered was that the people who were interested in finding out about patient safety were usually somebody who had a family member or themselves injured as a result of a medical error. Mm. My mission was I wanted to inform people so they would be good patient advocates for themselves and their family members. And I poured 20 hours a month probably into that effort. And I found that people were not interested. I think they were afraid that If they learned about medical errors, it would make it real, and they didn't want to think that it could happen to them or somebody that they loved. 
So I spent a lot of time and finally, I just couldn't get it going. I closed it all down. I went through a lot of agony of, I knew it was so important. I knew I could save lives, but I couldn't get people's attention. Ironically, I had one person who signed up for my my membership program. She paid me $19.97 a month for 18 months to hear my interviews. And I just said, this is it. I've got to close it down. Mm -hmm. In the process of running that effort, I connected with an attorney who was also very interested in patient safety. And then he hired me to moderate podcasts for him, for his patient safety organization. He paid me more in that year and a half that I worked with him than I generated during all of those hours of effort. And we established a very nice connection. And and I, I can't tell you, uh, thousands of people have listened to his podcasts. He had the right audience and the right message. And I learned from that experience a lot that I then applied to my business. But it wasn't what I expected. It was an outcome that I didn't foresee. I was so convinced that I could help people, but I couldn't make it work. And and sometimes that happens, right? I mean, that's one example. I know I have my own examples where that has happened before and I've seen someone else. I'm like, huh, okay. I just, I can't make that work myself. But mm-hmm. it, but I think knowing like you, you did, that it was time to call it a day and, and put your efforts to a different avenue, a different effort, that's difficult. Mm-hmm. Making oh, yeah. that decision, right? I mean, how long before you kind of packed that in? I mean, you had that one member for 18 months, I think you said? Mm-hmm. 18 months. So throughout that entire time, were you thinking it or was it like the last two months you were like, let's reevaluate? I think at the end of the first year, I thought I've given this a lot of effort. But, you know, the, there's a momentum that gets gathered that you think, well, if I hang on a little bit more, if I push a little bit harder, if I if I try this, if I do something different, I can keep it going. Mm-hmm. You've invested so much time. There's a lot of ego associated with starting a business. And you really want to make it successful. And I was convinced that people needed it. They needed it, but they didn't want it. And I didn't know the difference between those two. Oh, that's actually, that's, that's a winner right there. There's a difference between needing it and wanting it. Mm-hmm. How, how did you determine the want? Was it the lack of response or did you do a formal survey or something or? Uh, no, I, I think I didn't have to do a survey. It was pretty clear people didn't want what I had. <laughs> so you took it based on the results that you were seeing? I had, yeah, I had about 300 people who signed up to receive the free monthly magazine that was 50 pages long that that had columns from 10 different people. I mean, it was a beautiful product. But to get people to pay the $19.97 per month to receive the interview and the special um, tools and worksheets and special reports, that was where the monetization fell apart. Mm. 
But as, as they say, you know, when, when one door closes, there another one opens. Did you redirect your efforts then to a different avenue or did you just kind of strengthen what you were currently doing and just kind of close the doors on that one? I refocused and I started spending more time providing education for legal nurse consultants in the form of webinars and courses and books. At one point, I was running my business for attorneys, my avoid medical errors company, and education for nurses all simultaneously. And then when I took out the avoid medical errors, which was the name of that company, Mm -hmm. that gave me more opportunity to then put energy into developing the ongoing education for legal nurse consultants. Did it ever occur to you that if you took that out, you could also increase free time? <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know the concept of free time. <laughs> I'm getting that sense, Pat. I, I'm, I'm, you're confirming that thought. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that word. <laughs> is that just, is that a, a thing you've always had, I don't want to say trouble with, but that you've always been accustomed to not kind of having free time? I think you become, when you own your own business, you become very driven. And, you know, it's easier, quite honestly, to be driven and to devote time to pursuing your dreams when you don't have as many distractions around you. I think it's challenging, for example, for parents of young kids to try to figure out how to balance a business or a very demanding job and a family life. My kids are grown and out of the house, but they were younger when I was in graduate school and then when I started my business. I don't have, um, I don't spend time watching TV. I don't watch movies. I usually read for an hour or two every night. That would be what I would consider my free time. And I like working. I like accomplishing things and feeling good about being able to share information with other people. Now, when you were balancing your family life, raising your kids and and whatnot, was that a struggle, juggling all of that? Yes, it was. Uh, I ran my business out of my house for the first several years, probably the first seven years I ran the business out of the house. My son... My, I have two boys. My younger son, at one point, I remember he burst into tears. Talk about feeling guilty as a parent. He wanted my attention. It was after dinner. He thought that he should be able to get my attention. And I remember I was working on a report. And I very self-righteously said, I can't talk to you right now. I've got to focus on this. And he started crying and he said, I feel like such a pest. And I took a real deep breath and I thought, all right, what am I doing here? Mm. So that was the, the impetus for me hiring my first employee, who was one of my older son's friends. But it was stepping over that, that line of saying, you know what, I can't just work all day and all evening. I have to have help. I can't, I can't not give my children attention. And I know... This is sort of one of those 
guilt feelings that a lot of entrepreneurs feel when it comes to balancing time for themselves and their family is it's so easy to be caught up in what the business needs that you can become blinded to what your family needs. Oh, I think easily. It's so easy, especially when you're seeing progress being made. It's it's hard to put the brakes or or find another way to keep them both going without sacrificing the other. But, mm-hmm. You know, until you get a sign like you did uh, that says, hey, waving here. This one's this one's failing a little bit. Can we do something about it? I, I think we all go through that. Yeah. Yeah, it is a challenge. That's for sure. Well, what can what what can we expect from you moving forward? What do you, do you have any new plans you're working on or is it mostly just kind of keeping up with what you're doing? Well, after I sold my company, uh the two things that I've really focused on is providing education for legal nurse consultants, but I'm transitioning to spending more time now in ghostwriting and editing, helping people who are experts, who have knowledge, but don't know how to put it together in the form of a book or an online course, or they're too close to their material and they feel like they don't have the objectivity to be able to organize it. I have an ability from having done so much writing and working with other people with their writing to be able to step back from the material and see the big picture and say, all right, this is a logical way, a logical progression through the material. And that skill is applicable to anyone who has a deep amount of knowledge and needs somebody to help them take that knowledge out of their head and translate it into a product such as a book or an online course or a curriculum of some kind. That's one way that I think we have to increasingly focus on how can we share what we've learned? And this has been a consistent theme throughout our discussion tonight of I've got all this knowledge in me I've learned things from the school of hard knocks that I'd like other people to not have to go through and learn some of those painful lessons that I did. And we all can learn from each other as we continually strive for chasing our dream and moving over our obstacles and into successes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as someone who has chased their dream and has been successful has gone through the ups and downs of that dream chase. If someone in this new year came to you and said, Pat, I want to chase my dreams. This is new to me though. I'm busy. I'm doing things, but what should I do? What's the first action I should take? And that's a great question, Amy, because there's so many answers to that. I would say, I don't know if you've used the term dream stealers on your show. There are lots of people who will line up and say, you couldn't possibly do that. Mm. What are you thinking of? You should get a job. Why would you want to start a business? Why would you want to leave one job and go to a different job? What about job security? Why are you doing that? I think that's something to be aware of, that there are people who will try to discourage you from the course that you know you want to explore. So I would say the first thing 
is to be very clear on why you want to do it and who you believe you can serve. If it's starting a business, who's your market? Is there a market? What is the market willing to pay? Looking before you leaping is important. I'm by nature a cautious person. I left my job in 1987, which was the last time that I was an employee for working full-time for somebody else. But I put together coaching and writing and expert witness work in a big pot as all sources of income. And then gradually what sorted out over a period of three or four years was the attorneys needed me and were willing to pay for my services while the continuing education for nurses market was fluctuating and starting to decline. So I would recommend having a plan, but not throwing caution to the wind and plunging right ahead. You've got to have a sense of security. Maybe that means working in a business, working in a a job full-time and building up another interest or another business part-time and then slowly transitioning out. But if you don't do what you feel driven to do and assuming it's all based on a good chance of success, then I think one of the worst things is to be filled with regrets. One of the things I've learned, Amy, is that life is short, and I'm sure you've had other guests say the same thing. Mm -hmm. You don't want to get to the end of your life and say, you know, as one of my husband's friends said, you know, I'm going to start a business one day. Now he's retired from his job in a university in the Midwest. He no longer talks about how he's going to start a business one day, but he's been saying that for 25 years Ah. and never, never took the step. Was it so, was it was it a step though that he really really wanted, or was it? Well, I guess he could live without it since he hasn't done it. <laughs> no, he, he definitely <laughs> lived without it. I I don't know why he has said that. My husband and I would just laugh because every time he'd get off the phone with his friend, that he would say, "You know," he said to me again, "One day I'm going to start a business." And he's been saying that for a long time. Something held him back, fear, fear of failure, fear of of loss of security. I don't know what held him back, but he's clearly never going to do it. And he will have that as a regret in his life. Well, when you put it like that, that stands out. Mm-hmm. I would hope your listeners wouldn't have those kinds of regrets. It's better to, as I did, start a business and have an unexpected outcome than it is to have not taken that risk and then always regret that you didn't do it. Absolutely. I I, I couldn't say it better myself. And having heard her dream chase, you know it's true. Pat, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to come on the show and share your story. You are remarkable. Well, thank you so much for the chance to talk, Amy. I really appreciate it. And guys, that is Pat Iyer. What a wonderful person doing amazing things for her dream chase. She is, you guys can learn a lot from her. Uh, True story. What we talked about is just 
tip of the iceberg stuff, to be honest. Uh, you should check out Pat, her podcast, all of the things she's doing, which you can find over on the show notes page at ChasingDreamsHQ.com slash episode 124. That's episode 124. Till next time, guys, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Chasing.